A Fruitless Assignment by Ambrose Bierce. Henry Saylor, who was killed in Covington in a quarrel with Antonio Finch, was a reporter on the Cincinnati Commercial. In the year 1859, a vacant dwelling in Vine Street in Cincinnati became the center of a local excitement because of the strange sights and sounds said to be observed in it nightly. According to the testimony of many reputable residents of the vicinity, these were inconsistent with any other hypothesis than that the house was haunted. Figures with something singularly unfamiliar about them were seen by crowds on the sidewalk to pass in and out. No one could say just where they appeared on the open lawn on their way to the front door by which they entered, nor at exactly what point they vanished as they came out. Or rather, while each spectator was positive enough about these matters, no two agreed. They were all similarly at variance in their descriptions of the figures themselves. Some of the bolder of the curious throng ventured on several evenings to stand upon the doorsteps to intercept them, or, failing in this, get a nearer look at them. These courageous men, it was said, were unable to force the door by their united strength, and always were hurled from the steps by some invisible agency and severely injured. The door immediately afterward opening, apparently of its own volition, to admit or free some ghostly guest. The dwelling was known as the Roscoe House, a family of that name having lived there for some years, and then, one by one, disappeared. The last to leave being an old woman. Stories of foul play and successive murders had always been rife, but never were authenticated. One day, during the prevalence of the excitement, Sailor presented himself at the office of the commercial for orders. He received a note from the city editor, which read as follows. Go and pass the night alone in the haunted house in Vine Street, and, if anything occurs worthwhile, make two columns. Sailor obeyed his superior. He could not afford to lose his position on the paper. Apprising the police of his intention, he effected an entrance through a rear window before dark, walked through the deserted rooms, bare of furniture, dusty, desolate, and seating himself at last in the parlor on an old sofa which he had dragged in from another room watched the deepening of the gloom as night came on. Before it was altogether dark, the curious crowd had collected in the street, silent as a rule and expectant, with here and there a scoffer uttering his incredulity and courage with scornful remarks or ribald cries. None knew of the anxious watcher inside. He feared to make a light the uncurtained windows would have betrayed his presence, subjecting him to insult, possibly to injury. Moreover, he was too conscientious to do anything to enfeeble his impressions and unwilling to alter any of the customary conditions under which the manifestations were said to occur. It was now dark outside. 
but light from the street faintly illuminated the part of the room that he was in. He had set open every door in the whole interior, above and below, but all the outer ones were locked and bolted. Sudden exclamations from the crowd caused him to spring to the window and look out. He saw the figure of a man moving rapidly across the lawn toward the building, saw it ascend the steps. Then, a projection of the wall concealed it. There was a noise as if the opening and closing of the hall door. He heard quick, heavy footsteps along the passage, heard them ascend the stairs, heard them on the uncarpeted floor of the chamber immediately overhead. Sailor promptly drew his pistol and, groping his way up the stairs, entered the chamber, dimly lighted from the street. No one was there. He heard footsteps in the adjoining room and entered that. It was dark and silent. He struck his foot against some object on the floor, knelt by it, passed his hand over it. It was a human head, that of a woman. Lifting it by the hair, this iron-nerved man returned to the half-lighted room below, carried it near the window, and attentively examined it. While so engaged, he was half-conscious of the rapid opening and closing of the outer door, a footfall sounding all about him. He raised his eyes from the ghastly object of his attention and saw himself the center of a crowd of men and women, dimly seen. The room was thronged with them. He thought the people had broken in. Ladies and gentlemen, he said coolly, you see me under suspicious circumstances, but I... His voice was drowned in peals of laughter, such laughter as is heard in asylums for the insane. The persons about him pointed at the object in his hand, and their merriment increased as he dropped it, and it went rolling among their feet. They danced about it with gestures grotesque and attitudes obscene and indescribable. They struck it with their feet, urging it about the room from wall to wall, pushed and overthrew one another in their struggles to kick it, cursed and screamed and sang snatches of remald songs as the battered head bounded about the room as if in terror and trying to escape. At last, it shot out of the door into the hall, followed by all with tumultuous haste. That moment, the door closed with a sharp concussion. Sailor was alone, in dead silence. Carefully putting away his pistol, which all the time he had held in his hand, he went to a window and looked out. The street was deserted and silent. The lamps were extinguished. The roofs and chimneys of the houses were sharply outlined against the dawn light in the east. He left the house, the door yielding easily to his hand, and walked to the commercial office. The city editor was still in his office asleep. Sailor waked him and said, I have been to the haunted house. The editor stared blankly, as if not wholly awake. Good God, he cried. Are you sailor? Yes, why not? The editor made no answer, 
continued staring. I passed the night there, it seems, said Sailor. They say that things were uncommonly quiet out there, the editor said, trifling with a paperweight upon which he had dropped his eyes. Did anything occur? Nothing whatever. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> We did it without laughing. <laughs> ah, damn it. We I, managed. Every time we do it, so so for those of you, um, just to give you a little behind the scenes, we, we clap three times in unison uh, mm -hmm. to signal on the track for Matt that that's the beginning. Ding. And, and we should it. just it hasn't ding. happened in forever. We really should just ding, but <laughs> it doesn't happen on cue. Um, but so whenever we clap, we're a little out of sync because we're doing this by Zoom, and so we end up it ends up sounding every time. Like I think the reason I start laughing right after we say hello, welcome to the show, is because I, in my head, I'm thinking, hey, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you're so fine. hey, Mickey, hey, Mickey, because that's <laughs> yeah, essentially what it sounds like on my end because of the the uh, rhythmic There's really only like a half second delay, Yeah. but um, it's something that's noticeable. So what happens when we clap is then um, when Matt edits, he can see those um, sound waves. When we clap, it's a pretty strong sound wave, um, yeah. and then he can sync them up a little bit closer. So um, it usually... Because he's a you badass. you guys hear it the way we actually hear it, because we're both hearing each other delayed, Yeah. but it's it still seems very natural because it's such a small delay. We're lucky that, that way. <laughs> it's, we're lucky that it's, it's a small delay, a small yeah. Delay. And that Matt is fucking awesome. And move yeah, stuff around to make true. sure that it sounds like we're actually, you know, in the same room together. That's very true. We're not. We're miles apart. Miles, miles and miles. Miles and miles and uh, months and months. I hate it. I my, hate it. I miss you. I know. I miss you, too. I miss the dogs as well. I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah, they. I miss your dogs, too. Yeah, they miss you, three. No. Um, but the other Ooh. thing that I do is I put my hands on my hips and smile really big when I say my name. Uh, <laughs> you do. And, and then that usually tickles you, too. <laughs> it does. It's just the look. It's the little thing. What do I do when I say it? Do I do it? Do you notice anything? Or do I? am I just stock still? You're just trying not to laugh at me. Yeah. I'm <laughs> and that only encourages me more. I, know. I can't. I know. What am I going to do? Between oh, making you laugh God. and not making you laugh, what am uh, I going to do? So my smile gets bigger and more ridiculous. But how everything. are you today? I'm all right. You know, I'm all right. I, my, I feel like my circadian rhythms, my uh, my sleep patterns are finally improving after several weeks Good. now of like trying to like kick <laughs> sleep aids uh, and and kind of dial back the drinking a little bit. Now I just get wasted on the weekends, which is responsible of me. Right. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah, so it's uh, it's going well. I'm I'm also really excited. I just finished. Uh, so I've been writing uh, some a lot of music lately in quarantine, just because mm -hmm. I have the time. And it's the first time I've written like real serious, like you know, orchestral pieces. That's always been you know my dream. And I just completed like the hardest thing I've ever done. I just completed it this week, it's and okay. and I'm really I'm really excited about it. So that's good. And you know, working on other stuff that our listeners will enjoy soon. Yeah. And hint, yes. hint, hint. And uh, speaking of things our listeners have enjoyed, uh, thank you. DC yes, Douglas. DC Douglas read our opener. opening story. <laughs> yes. So that opener, just as a, he says it at the top, but just uh, so you know, it is um, uh, uh, the, 
I completely, oh, I have to open the right thing to look at it. I was like, I thought I wrote it down. I did. It's just not like in front of my face. Um, a Fruitless Assignment by Ambrose Bierce. Mm. And so Ambrose Bierce is, well, you talk about it. You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know uh, Ambrose Bierce is probably best known uh, for uh, writing what's called the Devil's Dictionary, where he just, like, over a series of years, he compiled this little list that used to appear in a paper or a magazine, rather, I think, uh, every few months. And it was like, it was just, just random definitions, like the real definitions. And like one of them was um, like, and some of them are very harmless, but they're all very sashly. But like one of them is like kilts, something Americans wear to pretend they're Scottish. Like he was, <laughs> he was like the first writer to like the first like real dark humorist, and he wrote other things. Uh, like some, it's like uh, the definition for history was like a tale told by an idiot signifying nothing, you know, which is the quote from yeah. Shakespeare. But um, but he also wrote, he was also like a, a probably the foremost uh, American practitioner at the time of the short story, specifically the short scary story. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote, he kind of, he predates Lovecraft and all these other, you know, uh, writers that are now uh, often much better known. And he was an asshole. Like, he was the greatest kind of asshole. He hated people so much. And it made his writing <laughs> so colorful because he was like, this fucking asshole. Like, I just love him. He's got such yeah. a, a such a solid, unique voice in in American letters. And and he just fucking vanished one day. In his in his later mm-hmm. years, he was just like, fuck all yous, and, <laughs> and left. Like, just vanished off the face of the yeah. earth. And there is some evidence, though not conclusive, uh, that suggests he, as an old man, decided to fucking fucking haul ass to Mexico and take part in the Mexican Civil War. Yeah. As a mercenary yeah, at the fucking age of 60 something or other, which is insane. Yeah. So he was he was quite a, a an interesting fellow and I love his writing yes. and I love and I love DC's take oh on one God, of his best stories. So so fucking good. DC too has this lovely like it's just I mean it's just such a good voice. I There's could listen so to him read many... Ambrose Pierce. Oh, and I just yeah, that's, did. Oh, great. It's lucky. I feel, I'm so glad. Thank you, DC, if you're yes. listening. Thank you. Thank you you're so much so for great. doing it. Um, you guys might know him um, uh, as Jack's favorite villain in video games. <laughs> it's Albert true. Wesker from He's Resident so, Evil. Yep, and so yep. that is one of the things that I have to say first because Jack would be upset if I didn't mention it. Right, right. Um, he's also in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Boruto, Hunter, X Hunter, unless it's Hunter plus sideways hunter i don't know i'm in hunt i'm in high school dxd so uh, i say x um <laughs> hunter times hunter i don't i've never seen it get off my back um, <laughs> there's a lot of but, there's a lot of anime fans out there going you're saying it wrong god I damn don't, it like, <laughs> i don't care uh <laughs> so, What's in a name? Just the title. Uh, so, and then well, also he's been in a lot of TV film and yeah, uh, movies, yeah. stuff like that too. You've heard his voice so on I'm commercials sure you've seen him. a lot. You've like he's been him. around. Yeah, <laughs> and he's been around. He'd want you to know that too. Uh, so my favorite thing about DC is the way that we met is I was uh, listed in a group of people that uh, someone was telling their followers they needed to hate because we were such horrible people and I (laughs) immediately messaged him and I was like I feel like if the same people hate us we probably would get along (laughs) and you were right and I was right (laughs) and he was really really supportive last year too over all the bullshit and actually the trolls targeted him and had his um uh twitter 
taken down. Like so he suspended had to start or something. Yeah, yeah, taken down Make altogether. Sure you yeah. DC Douglas. Fucking crazy. Um, but you can't yeah, keep the great. Douglas down. That's right. That's right. So anyway, you thank can't. you, DC. Such a good job. So uh, I love it. Can't and wait the to see him again. So I, I, creepy. Yeah. I, and absurd. Yeah, it's like, so ugh, good. Just so good. Um, but anyway, so uh, yes, thank you, DC. Do you want to talk about our title today? Oh, yeah. So our title today uh, is, hang on, let me make sure I have it right, because I wrote it down as well. I love how I say written down when I really just texted it to myself. Um, <laughs> or me. Or and you, then now yeah. we both have it. Um, today's yeah. title is, which you probably know because you've clicked on the link, but just for <laughs> those of you that just got here some other way that I'm not aware of, this title is A Stain Upon the Silence, which uh, is a quote from uh, the writer and playwright Samuel Beckett, one of my personal favorites. And he was just, I believe it was from some interview he was giving at some point, or maybe a diary entry, which he, where he famously said, nothing else matters but the writing. There has been nothing else worthwhile. A stain upon the silence. And it seemed like a good title because of what Jamie's covering today. Yeah, there will be a stain involved. I don't want to get into uh, it further than that. And there's some metaphorical stains uh, in mine. Uh, possibly Man. real ones, I don't know. But but for, before metaphorical we... stains in my heart. Oh, that sounds like sounds like you need to consult a dark a doctor a doctor a doctor. I couldn't right, decide whether sounds... I wanted to say cardiologist or doctor, and so it became a doctor. Um, I just got back from the chiropractor. How are you? I was going to ask before I got off on a tangent. How are you? I'm getting better. I they didn't the shock you today. They up. didn't. They didn't like electrocute you. They didn't you shock today. me. No, they just. I uh, dug their fingers into all the tender parts of my shoulder and loosened it up, apparently. Sounds That's like a pretty wild Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, uh, and so, I mean, it's, it, is, it is getting better. It's a slow process. Whatever I did is a real piece of shit. But <laughs> it's getting better, so that's good. <laughs> Happy about that. I'm glad. Um, but, yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> now I get to wait two weeks before I go back in instead of going in every week. That's nice. They're, they're weaning you yeah. off their services. Yeah, and it, and it was nice. Sign. There was a, a thunderstorm on my way, and as I got out of the car, it was pouring. And then um, and then it waited till I got in and then stopped. So that was fun. <laughs> I was like, great. And, like, this, has been, See, sometimes... this better be the end of it for this week because yesterday I took a shower <laughs> Fine. I got out of the shower. Oh, poor Jamie. And then I got immediately I got stuck in my bra. And I don't know. And it's you know, how it do you get? Always... I don't understand. How do you get stuck in a bra? I just don't know the mechanics of it. I'm not. I just don't. So what it's a happens? soft. It's. A, I want to say it's a soft spitting. Spitting. It's not. My bras don't spit. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> uh, it's a soft fitting sports bra. So it's um. It's not like a normal bra that class. It just goes okay. kind of goes over your head like a little shirt, but it's a little tighter. Okay. And yeah. sometimes it's a sports bra. It's got to like hold everything in place. Right, right. But I don't want it to be too tight. Like, what am I going on a jog in my house? No. <laughs> so I don't have to smush them. I just need to lift them and give them somewhere to rest gently. And so <laughs> I was putting it on, and <laughs> it rolled up like, and all the women, I don't care what size of titties you got, you know what I'm talking about. You put it over your head, and then because I was I was dry, but I was also warm from my shower, it rolled up on me, and then I and then it was on top of my boobs, but I couldn't get it to move down because it was rolled up into a sling of sorts, which that meant I had to sling it underneath 
my chesticles uh, <laughs> and then roll it back up. And like I was one arm in the sky. It was horrible. It was very, it's always a traumatic situation. By the time I got it fixed, I was sweating again. So I had to take a shower. It was horrible. <laughs> and I, yeah, ladies, oh, God, we've all been sorry. there. Like, I'm it's just, the worst. I it's the worst. I have an appreciation for and everything like, women have to go through just to get ready. This isn't, it doesn't happen Jesus. all the time, but when it happens. Oh, but it's a risk. <laughs> it's I mean, very frustrating. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, as far as I know, guys don't get stuck in their underwear like that. And if we yeah, did, no. we just cut it off with a pair of scissors and call it a day. Like, we're not, we're not, yeah. we're, we're disgusting. Well, and then also the other part is because my, Shoulder is still sore. I couldn't reach behind me at all <laughs> to get it. So I was working with my left arm, which is just oh, barely a functioning so arm sorry. because I'm so right-handed. Well, and it was just like, I couldn't. It was horrible. It was so bad. I'm and that so just kind of set the tone well, for the day yesterday. Well, so I'm, at least, you I'm know. Glad, I'm glad you endured to be here. I did. Uh, we all appreciate it. It was also fun talking endure. to all our uh, 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 f- uh, fun talking to our patrons on the chat on Saturday. Yes, that was that really was cool. Good. I can't wait till we do the next one, um, really which we're still going to think about and figure out when we want to do it. That's true. Shall but join I, the uh, Patreon anyway until yes, we figure yes, it out. Yes, 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 uh, because we do it, you know, every month. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let me give you some few a few news of the weird items this week. Oh, it was yes. actually rather hard to find stuff that was the least bit funny. There was a lot of bad news this week I that know. broke my fucking heart. I don't want to go into it, but you you probably know well, what I'm talking about. We can do a little, about. yeah, shout out. But I'm we'll kind of forever. God damn it. God damn it. it. Just, I gotta, I we gotta say it. No, no, we do. I'm just saying, that's what I said when I found out the news. Like I said, I was scrolling through Reddit and I saw that and I just, I blurted out loud, God damn it. Like I was, yeah. that was fucking shit. Yeah. And I don't, man. And, and you know, Nikki Marina on TikTok, who I follow and think is really wonderful. Yeah. She made a great post about like, let's not celebrate the, the shit he went through to, because obviously right. he was still, you know, he was still battling cancer while making Black Panther, which is in in my humble opinion, not so humbly delivered, uh, one of the probably probably the most important fucking superhero movie made ever. Uh, certainly one of two, and and you know so. But the fact that he was struggling with cancer while making it, while fucking mm-hmm. making it, like that's awesome and commendable. But I don't think, as Nikki Marina says, like I agree with her when she says we shouldn't celebrate his pain because he probably felt like he fucking had to do it, and we shouldn't. In a just society, no one would feel they had to. Right. So right. let's just appreciate that. And God damn it, I fucking miss him because I thought he was amazing. He was. He was amazing. He um, was. And yeah, it's, it is heartbreaking. And I know as heartbroken as we are, it is in pale comparison to a lot of other people who he touched on a different level than we'll ever understand. And yeah. so yeah, just our heart is broken for everyone. Oh, everyone, really. God. But um. But let me. Yeah. Let me, Other than the end of the world, what what let's, else? Let's is lighten happening? things up a little bit with some <laughs> stupid news. Um, before we get into death, before we, let's, let's get, get into it. So this first story I'm calling something old, something new, a bolt of lightning out of the blue. A couple from Massachusetts <laughs> had a lightning wedding on Saturday. Aaron Sawitsky and his wife Denise McClure were getting married over the weekend in Marion when a large lightning bolt suddenly struck near. The ceremony. The arc flashed across a body of water near where they stood and was quickly followed up by a crackling boom right after the groom joked, let's face it, 2020 has not been the best year. Ah! Uh, the astonishing moment was captured on video that has since gone viral. Uh, Sawitsky says, quote, the timing 
was pretty epic. <laughs> despite, <laughs> despite the interruption, the couple were able to uh, uh, complete the ceremony, which had already been postponed two months due to the pandemic. Uh, the probability of getting struck by lightning is around 1 in 280,000, or uh, 1 in 10 if you're me. According to curtain, uh, according to curtain, uh, curtain records, according to current records from the <laughs> National Lightning Safety Institute, which is a thing. Uh, interestingly enough, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, not sure why they have a dog in this fight, adds that 32% of lightning injuries occur indoors. Uh, there is no title for the next one except The Fuck. <laughs> a new disturbing TikTok trend involves young people pretending to be Holocaust victims in heaven. No. It, in, uh, thank God they have not come up on my For You page. Um, in the videos... That's not for me. That's no, not for it's me. Not, it's not for me. Who I is it for? That. I don't know. Uh, in the I videos, mean... creators appear to be wearing makeup that imitates burns and bruises, etc., etc., while explaining how they died in Nazi-run death camps. Other versions show people acting out representations of the genocide of the Jewish people during World War II. It wasn't just Jewish people, by the way, but, of course, mm -hmm. the whole fucking thing was just awful. Uh, in some cases, the TikTokers use uh, the background image of Auschwitz concentration of the Auschwitz concentration camp network in the video. Some creators don a yellow Star of David, some wear the striped shirts to mimic the concentration camp uniforms worn by prisoners of Hitler's Third Reich. The videos, which use hashtags including hashtag Holocaust and hashtag heaven, have been viewed thousands of times on the platform. They are part of a wider TikTok genre of point and view videos in which users shoot from a uh, first-person perspective and make the viewers the main character. But the trend has caused an outcry, as it should, with one person tweeting, quote, I'm sad this has become something people think is okay to practice their makeup and acting skills on, end mm -hmm. quote. Oh, people, Jesus Christ. There are ways to spread yeah. awareness, but that's not one of them. That reminds me. No. So a few years ago, a documentary came out, uh, or at least I don't. I think I saw it on Netflix. I can't remember. It was called Finding Jean Benet. And it was about, mm. it was not a documentary about Jean Benet Ramsey. It was a documentary about actors auditioning for the role of the Jean, of the, of the, her mm -hmm. parents in a film about, the killing and it was just so infuriating to watch as right. an actor as an actor it was infuriating watching these people get so serious and so self-indulgent about you know playing these 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 real people who you know i i may have been murderers i don't know but it's certainly like this dark 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 real tragic story and they're like i have to find my dark place to play let me just go there and it's just i mean i get oh, it geez. actors have to do that but it shouldn't be put on display i just think no actors, i don't like, think most of the actors craft should be put on display no, because it, it is it just, masturbatory it like, crosses is, it crosses yeah. a line when that part becomes visible i yeah. think what actors do is very important but how they get there is just something that ruins it if it's seen keep that for class it's like a and magic then trick maybe shut up don't about show it. me the hole in the hat, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, keep it a mystery. Something Man. a little lighter, I call slow and steady. Solomon the tortoise went on quite an adventure during an unplanned summer vacation, even though he didn't go that far from home. The 150-pound Sulcata tortoise managed to escape from his home in Ashland City, Tennessee on June 8th and roamed around for 74 days, owner Lynn Cole said. Wow. Uh, she had, uh, she's had the 15-year-old tortoise since he was a hatchling the size of a ping-pong ball. He's now about 36 pounds and is still growing. 
Uh, also known as the African spurred tortoise, they can live for up to 100 years. Now, Cole put up signs and hundreds of flyers and posted Solomon's pictures all over social media to no avail. Uh, but turns out... <laughs> Looks like a turtle, right? <laughs> okay, great. I'll get on it. It's a turtle. A tortoise, not a turtle. It's a tortoise. Totally See? different thing. Um, so to me, that also looks like a turtle. So that's great. <laughs> I mean, it's probably her promise. She also reached out to like zoo rescue, like zoo and rescue groups and things right. like that. And no one had seen poor Solomon. On Thursday last, Cole got a call from a guy who said he saw the tortoise at a home construction site. Just an eighth of a mile from Cole's house. <laughs> so 74 days and he'd only made an eighth of a mile. Although in my movie, he came back. Like yeah. <laughs> he went, he like went to Indonesia and came back somehow. Uh, she and her husband rushed to bring Solomon home. He was tired, hungry, and caked in mud, but seems in good health after his little odyssey. Uh, he's a vegetarian, so he was able to survive on grass and dandelions and other things like that while he was out for a stroll. Uh, <laughs> Cole isn't sure how Solomon got loose, but they've since reinforced his area to keep it from happening again. She's talked to the Nashville Zoo and a total res- uh, and a local rescue group about fitting Solomon with GPS in case he does uh, does this again. <laughs> <laughs> what? For now, it seems that. <laughs> but for now, it seems that Solomon's wandering days are behind him. He scratched that itch, so good for him. Good for him, yeah. He's like, wow. I've gone further than any tortoise ever. One-eighth of a mile in record time. Is, <laughs> does he even know there are other tortoises? I'm, you know, good question. I don't know. I don't know. God, I want to believe And how would he know like... what they look like? <laughs> now I'm having an existential crisis over the tortoise, Jamie. Thank you. This is supposed That's to be a cute for. story. <laughs> I'm here to ask the question. Speaking of that existential you're crises, think about it at three uh, in the morning. You're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of existential crises, a New York-based developer's new video game takes a new twist on the concept of flight simulation by offering the realistic experience of taking a long commercial flight in economy class. <laughs> Airplane mode, a game developed by uh, Hosoji Aljui. I'm probably butchering that name, forgive me, for AMC Games, is billed as, quote, the only flight simulation game where players can experience the intense excitement of being an economy-class passenger on a long-haul flight. (laughs) The game allows players to simulate the experience of taking a long-haul flight in real time with available activities, including rifling through an in-flight magazine, completing Sudoku puzzles, watching movies from the 1930s, and looking out the window, which which features realistic satellite imagery of the flight path. The players are also treated to experiences including in-flight meals, turbulence, and occasional Wi-Fi outages. Uh, Quote, crying baby not guaranteed on every flight, the game's description reads. (laughs) What? Who the fuck is that target audience? You know what? I was thinking about this, and at first I'm like, ah, it's bullshit. It's really hilarious. But I think it could actually help people that have a fear of flying get accustomed to the idea of what it's like. I Like our friend Vanessa, who's terrified of planes, right. she could probably Maybe. use that. So I, I could see it doing some good. It's just the way Maybe. it's marketed it sounds really funny. The excitement of a long-haul economy class flight. Right. Yeah, it makes me Put irritated. numbers in squares. The idea of being, like, It puts me into the place where I am on the flight, which is just keep breathing. Just you're going to get through this. Oh, shit. This is never going to end. But find another movie. Find another movie. Find another movie. Shit. Yeah. It's just funny, man. It's the state of the world today that people are like, man, 
I remember planes. I wish there was a video game that could simulate the soul-crushing boredom <laughs> of being on you a plane. You know what I do on my next long flight, if we ever have one again, um, <laughs> is I just I'm going to count how many times I cross my legs because <laughs> I do it probably a thousand times an hour. I feel like oh yeah, and I yeah. hate it for the people in front of me and next to me, but. I'm not even tall, and my legs get crampy <laughs> when I have to stay in one position. Oh, yeah, same. And so it's just a cross, and then I I'm crossing cross, and I'm from, cross. I shift from ass cheek to ass cheek because one will get, like, yeah. I don't, I'm don't. i structured in such a way that I can't just sit down on both my ass cheeks. Like, only one of them has to be bearing most of the weight, and then I have to shift. So it's weird. Um, yeah. If we're on a plane a together, we're inevitably in the, in the uh, fire lane, the fire exit lane. Yes, because I got to have that extra. Row. Yeah. Fire lane, fire lane. Get, I gotta have that. that extra I need that footage. extra room, otherwise I'm fucking miserable. And then inevitably, we measure our leg length. It happens every fucking every time. Every time. Every <laughs> time. I stick mine out, and they don't reach the chair in front of me. Do you and then you, you talk about how long yours are, and then we laugh about it. Do you remember <laughs> the? We were flying. We were flying uh, first class that once. Uh, first class, or, or or business class, which is a little better than economy, uh, on Delta. There's a few flights ago, and uh, or like one of the few, one of the last couple of flights we took together uh, on our yeah. con circuit, and and we both had a couple drinks. And- you were making fun of like, okay, so we're landing now or whatever. And so like the trace have to be down and there's like a little lock that puts them in place on the side. And you were like, I'm going to unlock it. And I'm like, no, you have to. And you kept it. And finally I was like, fine. And I unlocked it to be a rebel. And you're like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to lock it back now. Cause I can't, that's not real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's what, very what easy helps, to fuck with me on a plane. It, it really is because I am such, and it I'm helps like, alleviate my stress <laughs> to mess with you. My I'm happy to take to one be... for the team. <laughs> My favorite is when we're in front of a gate, <laughs> like waiting to get on the plane, oh and God, I start asking you worst. if maybe we've moved and we're at the wrong gate. <laughs> Do you think maybe this is the right place? What <laughs> if they moved right? gates and we just didn't just, notice? What have you didn't, checked? What if they just didn't change the monitor? Right. Have like you checked maybe, your app? Have oh my we, God damn it. Jamie, <laughs> fucking never, Jamie. <laughs> you or Monica will go why. fucking decide like as they're boarding to go buy a pillow. And I'm like, Monica, they're boarding. Come on. <laughs> I can't. I can't do this. You I, leave your when stuff I am with traveling, me, and then you I'm, pace. Yeah, because <laughs> if I know I if I leave my bullshit. stuff with you, I need to just get the energy out because I'm going to be sitting now for the right. next couple hours. So I just need to like, I need to want to sit. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to pace until I wear myself out because out of nerves. <laughs> and then I know if you've got my stuff, you'll stay fucking put. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the I'm like a sheep. It's dog. my favorite. I'm a sheep it's dog good. at an airport. It's um, an e- we have a system and it works for us. Is all we're saying. It's really funny. Find a system that works for you it's because then it's when comedy. we fear the plane is going down, you're there for me a hundred percent. And so I think I, in all these cases, I did say, you're well, just we there almost for crashed me. that one time, and I was surprisingly not. I was not moved. I was just like, I got yeah. you. Um, yeah. Because that was the plane that we're pretty sure was like that was the last flight it was ever going to take. And it yeah. really shouldn't have been on that one. It was the worst. Um, it was the worst ever. It was. Worst. It was the worst. <laughs> the heck, we were ever. sitting in the exit row, and the fucking the cover <laughs> for the handle kept just falling off into my it just lap. Kept falling off. <laughs> uh, I believe I buried my face into your arm at one point. You were like, "Just take it." You just you put your arm out. and You're like, "Just take it." And I was like, "Okay." And then I took and your we, and we landed. And we landed so hard that we kind of went sideways. While still, mm-hmm. we, we get we did kind of a deja vu, and it was. <laughs> and we bounced, and then we got off, oh. and we were talking. 
Matranga, yeah. Josh and Matranga, and I was like, so we almost died, right? And they were like, oh, God, yes, yes. I thought we were for sure. I was like, okay, good. All right, okay. We're like, someone was murdered on this plane. Sorry, final story. The federal, speaking of uh, flying, okay, so the federal, the FBI, why why am I saying the whole thing, is investigating after an American Airlines pilot reportedly saw a mystery man in a jetpack flying high (gasps) above LAX, right in his flight I'm so glad you're doing this. I saw a little bit of it, but I didn't get to look it up. When it comes to accuracy and reliability, you'd probably rank airline pilots right up there. I mean, I want to. So when an American Airlines pilot reported via radio to the control tower about seeing, quote, a guy in a jetpack as he was approaching LAX at about 300 feet and 10 miles out for a landing, you have to give it uh, some serious thought, as unlikely as the situation may be. Is it possible? Well, based on research, jetpacks can fly that high, but is it likely? Common sense would say no, but again, it's an airline pilot reporting, so we gotta take that into account. Now, you think anyone with the technical and financial uh, uh, know-how to have something like that would also realize it's not safe to fly in LAX's flight path. Uh, right. could, it, could it be an internet stunt? Maybe, but no one has come forward to claim it, which would seem to defeat the purpose. Um, two retired uh, pilots who currently teach and consult on aviation safety say they would absolutely believe the pilot in that the situation, uh, uh, in, in that situation, given their, quote, trained eyes and visual awareness. The pilot estimated the jetpack was only about 300 yards outside the cockpit window. Ah. <gasps> Oh my God. Up. Like first they try to blind pilots with little laser pointers and now they're getting jetpacks. Jesus Christ. It's That's insane. Yeah. Iron Man Three... is real. That's crazy. Can you imagine? And also yards. so dumb. But there's that story about the guy who did something where he would he was gonna float up. Mm-hmm. And then float back that whole thing. Yeah, back, that was back in the seventies or eighties or something like where he he, right. he tied a was bunch it of balloons, a shit ton of balloons to a lawn chair yeah. with a seatbelt on yeah. it, and he did it. That's he, right. he did it. He actually did it. And he had a gun to shoot them down, right? Shoot yeah, the balloons so he could, he could shoot. He had like a little, it was like a little BB gun. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And pilots were like, uh, the fuck? Can you imagine being a pilot and just seeing a jetpack and be like, um, right? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. If they could do it with balloons, why couldn't they do it with a jetpack? That's all I'm saying. That's fair. I'm just well. It's just. I mean, it's yeah. expensive. Balloons in a lawn chair. I mean, it's seemingly a lot more well, these economically days, feasible for most people. Very expensive too. So. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> all right. So, what? Good stories. Is thank you, thank you. What's your story about today, Jamie? Okay, I'm really excited about this. I am too. Sometimes. When you you have to be inspired sometimes to find the right story. Fact. And every once in a while, you'll see a name and you'll be like, oh, that's it. And that's what <laughs> happened here. <laughs> I am doing the Grumblethorpe House in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the Pennsylvania Grumblethorpes. Grumblethorpes. <laughs> and when I told Michael that I wanted to do Grumblethorpe, his reply is, that's what I'm going to name my next Frenchie. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, that's probably. Grumblethorpe should already we're... be one of Genji's like 10 names. Right. That's the same thing with Dexter. That's a Grumblethorpe for sure. All right. All right, Sir Grumblethorpe. Right? So, oh. yes. So, Grumblethorpe is, uh, is the name of the show. Let me tell you my sources. Uh, there's a podcast called Twisted Philly, episode hmm. 105. It's a great uh, episode and it's a two parter. So, there's a second part that gets into some other stuff. Um, so I recommend that. There's an article by Gary Sweeney on thelineup.com. 
Wikipedia, and of course, genie.com for my genealogy needs. Mm. All right, so Germantown is a section of Philadelphia that borders the northwest suburbs of the city. Worcester is a small area within Germantown where 5267 Germantown Avenue is located. That house is known as Grumblethorpe, a name which came about from a novel about a German family in England. Grumblethorpe. Allegedly. So, who is the German German family settling in America? It's the Wooster family, Wooster. which was later changed to Worcester. Of the small area of Germantown where Grumblethorpe is located. Worcester. Wooster. They made Wooster. it uh, more angelic and not American because... They America wasn't a thing when they got here. It wasn't the United <laughs> States of America. So uh, they made it more angelic though, when they moved over. Um, Casper Wister was a German-born glassmaker and one of the first German colonists in Pennsylvania. His brother, John, at a very young age, made a four-month trek to the Americas and quickly set about making a new life for himself as well. He became a very successful importer of wine, and by the age of 25, he was wealthy enough to own a house off Market Street. And if you don't know what Market Street is, it's basically steps away from all the historical shit you'll find in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. You know the stuff I'm talking about. I don't have to go into it because that's also a whole other episode. Right. So we don't need to get into it. Anywho, (laughs) on top of that property off Market Street, he owned land 10 miles outside the city. At the time, it would have taken three hours or so traveling by horse carriage to get there. Today, guess how long it is? Five minutes. 20 minutes. Oh, I was close. 20, so close. Um, (laughs) It's 10 miles. But John decided uh, he wanted to have a country home as well. So, you know, it's it's a very... uh, English thing to do as well. Right, right. For a German guy to be like, well, yeah, I have one in town and I need a country home it's as where well. The, it's where the phrase town home comes from. You have a town right. home because you have a country uh, home. Exactly. Um, I need a country home then. I have a town home. Now I would like a country home. <laughs> but uh, in 1744, <laughs> he had the stone and oak home built. The stones for the house were quarried on the property, which we've heard of, of that before. Uh, and um, the Joyce were hewn from oaks in Worcester's woods, which was also owned by the family. So the wood and the stone used to make the house were from that that land. So it is... That's uh, that's really cool, but if there's something on that land... Whoopsies. That house going to be haunted. Yeah. Um, so the three-story home had ceilings that were a little lower than other homes at the time, which kind of make them makes the house stand out as different. It had a front door Even. and a courting door. Co- Which is oh, where gentlemen co- would come courting. It's a stage door. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's where you put on your best face. Mm-hmm. The front door used to be columned, but those columns are gone today. At the time, it was known as John Wister's Big House. <laughs> and if, like me, uh, Worcester makes you think of Wisteria, because that's when right. I hear Worcester, I think Wisteria, right? Right. There's a reason for that. First of all, I got to say, I have two Wisteria bushes out back, and one of them is struggling thanks to the August heat wave. Oh, it's just sorry. dead it's, in the middle. It's such a it's pretty little... Okay on the outside, but dead in the middle. I have another one to the side that it's I have It's like built us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dead in the middle. All of us, um, all of us. It's this 2020. Year. It's just a represent- yeah. representation of 2020. My other one's really cool though because it grows up, um, and so wisteria is a very invasive plant. So don't mm-hmm. plant it next to your house, or it will grow into or you'll whatever be a, your house is made out of. Suddenly, you'll be living in a treehouse. 
Yes, exactly. Which also sounds cool. So maybe do that. Um, but <laughs> I have built kind of um, a little small structure kind of thing for it to grow on. And then I put my trash cans underneath it. So it just looks like wisteria. And then it's hiding my trash cans. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, wisteria is like a vine. And then it has these really pretty purple flowers that hang down. Yeah, I love it. It's I so fucking cool. I love the flowers. So anyway, um, the Wisters are the namesakes of the wisteria plant. Grumblethorpe included several acres of plant and flower beds and a looming ginkgo tree, which still stands now. The tree is said to have grown from, yeah, get this. It's grown from a seedling brought from England in 1754 and planted by John Wister himself. That tree is the oldest ginkgo tree in the United States. Wow. So cool. That's bad. That, it's a tree. That makes me really happy. Like, I love, I yeah. love old trees. And it's trees. huge and gorgeous. Oh. Just, uh, it's amazing. Eventually, Grumblethorpe became the Wister's year-round residence when the family withdrew from the city during the yellow fever epidemic of 1793. Philly was a filthy port town. So what are you going to do? You're going to catch a disease and die horribly. That's what happened. So <laughs> they were like, let's get out of town. And they did. Now, <laughs> the home would play a role in the Battle of Germantown in 1777. So a little history there. The Battle of Germantown was a major engagement in the Philadelphia campaign of the American Revolutionary War. And this is kind of cool because I didn't know this, you know, we learn about the American Revolutionary War, but we don't learn about specific battles generally. We really unless we don't. Lived in that yeah. town. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of cool. Um, so uh, uh, the the battle was fought on October fourth, seventeen seventy seven. So the battle is a Libra, <laughs> and uh, it was at Germantown between the British Army led by Sir William Howe and the American Continental Army under George Washington, of course, our first president at the time. Philadelphia was the capital of the United States, and Howe wanted to capture it for the British, and he did just that. He basically snuck around the Continental Army by avoiding the Delaware River because that's uh, American troops own the Delaware River. Yeah. And he traveled yeah. south to Maryland before coming back up to go after Philadelphia. He seized Philly on September 26th. Of 1777. Afterwards, Howe left a garrison of some 3,000 troops in Philadelphia while moving the bulk of his force to Germantown. Washington found out about it and was like, let's fucking go after him, boys. Let's get it. So to sum up this battle without getting into it too much, Washington wanted to surround Germantown and come in from all sides, but that meant sneaking his troops in by having them march miles into town overnight. And... The next morning, there was a really, really dense fog, which caused a lot of confusions, including friendly fire, oh, <laughs> where God. the Americans couldn't even see that they were shooting each other. Oh. It wasn't great. The Americans did lose. Uh, and but, but what's interesting about this particular one is even though they lost, um, they fought, and they had a strategy, and they were organized. The colonists started to doubt Washington for a while at this point because he had lost several battles in a, in a, in right. a row. Yeah. But this particular battle went well enough for the French to be like, oh, oui, oui. And they decided to become allies with the Americans because of this battle. Ah, Which is interesting, right? All it takes. And for th- one yeah. good day. <laughs> Now, the U.S. lost the Battle of Germantown for sure, but 
the French couldn't have been impressed if the British hadn't suffered casualties as well. And this is where Grumblethorpe comes into play again. Grumblethorpe. Every time you say it, I'm going to smile. Grumblethorpe. Uh, Grumblethorpe. 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 So during this battle, the Wisters were out of town. They had left Philly proper the year before their uh, to go. Um, let me say that again. They had left Philly, like Philadelphia, their house off Market Street, the year before because they wanted to go to Germantown to get away from all of the shit that was going on with uh, the colonists and all of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in in this in Philadelphia, so they go to Germantown. Yeah, and okay. then a year later, as most American sympathizers did at the time, they pieced the fuck out. They were like. We think you guys are great. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I would rather not. So they went to stay with some friends in North Wales, Pennsylvania, where incidentally, eventually, um, not long actually after they got there, troops uh, from the America, American troops kind of set up shop there as well. Okay. And we know about their life at this time because James Wister's 16-year-old granddaughter, Sally, wrote a journal to share with her bestie when she returned to Philadelphia. <laughs> so they're both keeping out, like, like writing down what happened so they could share it with each other and then read through what the other one had written, which I think is, That's like, so cool. Fucking, I, yes. I, I love I the love shit that. out of Yay, that. Yay, best friends. <laughs> best so cool. friends. And you can actually buy Sally Wister's journal on Amazon right now. You can also get it free if you look hard enough. Um, and in true <laughs> 16-year-old girl fashion, it seems like she was like, I want to write a journal. Here's a book. I'm going to write in that. And so what she had written in was also her father's journal where he had been keeping records of the garden on the property. And so it's like kind of these two different historical pieces in one little journal. That's so cool. that's probably because they were combined into one that it even survived as long as it did. So, um, yeah, best friends and flowers. Best friends and flowers and haunted houses. I love it. It's like us. (laughs) I know. Yay. Uh, Okay, so as we know, the Third Amendment to the Constitution states that soldiers can't just roll in town and be like, hey, I'm going to stay in your house. Make me a sandwich. And when the British were (laughs) doing—and that's because uh, the the British were doing—they were doing that in Philadelphia and pretty much everywhere else they could. That's why we have that amendment. I love a man in uniform, but I could handle it most three of you at once. Right. Yeah. Don't. I'm not. I can't a support an entire. <laughs> I can't support an entire battalion. I'm sorry. I'm just right. not. Maybe. Maybe right. in my twenties. But. Whew. Yeah. So they would just take over whole houses. They would move in. <laughs> like sometimes horses would stay inside. It. You know, if they didn't have a barn, or even if they did, but they particularly liked the horse. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of respect for property going on, um, at the same time, and so. British Brigadier General James Agnew, in particular, decided to make Grumblethorpe his headquarters during the Battle of Germantown. Agnew had already been injured in the Battle of Brandywine, which had occurred a couple weeks before Philadelphia was captured. He was still recuperating when, on October 4th, three days after he had occupied the home, the Battle of Germantown began. Mm-hmm. There are a couple different stories told as to what happened to General Agnew on the day of the battle. One is that Agnew rode out to see what was going on by himself, but there was all this fog. So he came up on the American soldiers, saw them, and immediately fled. As he rode his horse back to the house, he was shot in the back. Oh. Another story, I feel like that's probably a British telling of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Another story is that he was marching through town with a group of soldiers, and they ran into the Americans together. A skirmish ensued, and Agnew was shot then. 
All that said, on March 8, 1778, so the following year, Alexander Andrew, who was Agnew's servant at the time, wrote a letter to Agnew's wife. In it, he told her that Agnew was about 500 yards from the Americans when he was shot multiple times. He said the fatal ball entered the small of his back near the back seam of his coat, right side, and came out below his left breast. Another ball went through his left hand. Personally, I'm going to go with the first person statement. Mm. Why? Because testimony is evidence. Also, the details <laughs> are... It it's is. true. Ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> the details are morbid, <laughs> but also very informative. So uh, it seems like that's probably what happened. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, though, after being shot, Agnew was dragged back to Grumblethorpe and died soon afterwards. Mm. Uh, they dragged him in and put him on the floor of the parlor. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's where they laid him. That's what the parlors were for. Yep. With these wounds, there was a lot, like a lot of blood. So much blood, in fact, that their stains are still visible on the same hardwood floors located in the parlor of Grumblethorpe today. No one could ever get them out. Man. Right. Oh. The, The Wisters lived in the house for over 160 years, and up to the 1870s, it was a working farm. Members of the Worcester family are known for their contribution to American literature, horticulture, historic preservation, and astronomy. Owen Worcester, the author of The Virginian, lived nearby and spent summers of his youth there. Of course, Sally's journal remains in publication today and provides insight into the thoughts of teenagers in the 18th century. One of her brothers, Charles Jones Worcester, was the one responsible for changing the name of the house from John Worcester's big house to Grumblethorpe after reading the humorous 19th century book, Things I thinks I to myself. That's what it is. Thinks, thinks I, I to, myself. to myself. Charles was known for his finely crafted, finely crafted scientific tools <laughs> and his broad knowledge of the sciences. Clearly, I don't do a lot of sciences because I can't even <laughs> say the fucking words. <laughs> just to, kept, just having a you're having a deep reaction. That's right. It's just like it's touchy. Just wait. I might later. Um, so he. Kept, this is kind of cool. He kept a weather diary and recorded weather every day for decades. Oh, it's my dad. My dad does that. (laughs) Yeah. So see, this is why that's cool. Today, these records are still used by forecasters in the Philadelphia region as a benchmark for declaring the hottest or coldest day on record. That's badass. Isn't that cool? Yeah. What a forward-thinking, contributing batch of people. Like, what a, man, I I want to be like that. I want to contribute. Yeah, we're not going to do that. So <laughs> towards the late... ghost stories. That's a kind of that's contribution. Right. That's true. Yeah, people know about this now. Yeah. So basically what happened is towards the end of, uh, you know, late 1800s into the 1900s, turn of the 20th century, um, the farm got smaller and smaller. Mm, yeah. and, but then uh, a company, they, they are a museum, they bought it and they kind of has have excavated those lands and kind of are brought mm. it back to what it was in its heyday. Um, so the Grumblethorpe is now a museum that you can visit. It was restored and refurnished in the 1960s to match the original period, which included removing an early 19th century Georgian-style facade. Almost all furniture on display was owned by the Worcester family. It also has two acres of chickens, beehives, an observatory, and all kinds wow. of flowers and vegetables. That's so cool. And you can visit it now. But here's the question. Is the right. home haunted? Surely. I mean, well, surely. there's 240-year-old bloodstains on the floor. Of course it's fucking haunted. <laughs> it has to be. 
called it. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. So it's believed that General Agnew is one of the spirits haunting the home. A dark mist has been seen rising from the bloodstain, and temperature changes have been noted. Specifically, the area around the bloodstain will become much colder than the rest of the room. The sound of a man uh, moaning has been heard. Oh, I didn't even mean to do that. (laughs) I was like, ooh, that was me. That was me. Sorry. That was it. That's perfect. You nailed it. Yeah. So they'll hear. Now, sometimes they'll say, oh, if you stand on it at midnight. But other reports just say you can he- sometimes hear a man moaning. Because um, if you step with the, I love the the I the idea of being able to stand on it and cause the moaning is a little right. disturbing because it's like like get off of him. He's like, oh, <laughs> your foot. Like it's. Get <laughs> off. I'd moan too if you were awful? stepping on my. That'd be awful to be like that's your cursed uh, post existence is to be. A ghost that's laying in your own blood stain and people stand on you and you have to be like, Ugh. And, and you feel, I mean, like, and I mean, at that point, what's the, what's the value of being dead? Like, <laughs> right. It's, that's not, that's not good. That's Don't not stand a good, that's not stain. a good deal. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, the parlor isn't open to the public, but I think you can see it when you walk mm, through. Mm. Yeah. You can well, they probably they again. probably want to preserve uh, that stain, like now that they, at this and, point, and they don't want yeah. it to get like bleached with to over, people taking too many photos of it or whatever, right. because it can like blanch the wood enough that the stain no longer shows. But it would take a yeah. long time. Yeah, and it very time, much but... it doesn't look like a big red stain. It looks yeah. Very, you show me the picture and it just you can tell yeah. it's it looks. There's a stain there, but it, my first thought is not, oh, my God, blood, murder. It's not as violent as they it sounds. They clearly tried Though to it, clean it. <laughs> it probably did look pretty fucking awful originally. Yeah. But it's not like they've yeah. just left it like, oh, yeah, it's here. It's this uh, blood stain, still bright crimson in the shape of a dude. Like, yeah, we just yeah. really ties the room together. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> just don't step on the blood stain. I'm going to go back to that. Yeah, don't, um, don't. Okay. One education director, Diana Thompson, reported seeing a black shape low to the ground spinning very quickly from the dining room into the colonial parlor. The parlor, as we know, is where General Agnew died. I feel like Diana and I are kind of like-minded because she said when she saw the shadow, she said out loud, I'm not in the mood for this. (laughs) (laughs) No, go home. I like your style, Diana. I like it. Um, And after she said it, the shape disappeared. Her son later reported seeing the same apparition uh, throughout the house. Mm-hmm. But Agnew is not the only spirit to grumble <gasps> about. Oh, that's <laughs> what you yeah, did there. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> I read multiple stories about um, uh, Justinia, Justinia Hernberger. Justinia's father, Justin, died in the 1793 Philadelphia yellow fever epidemic. She was orphaned, but taken in by the Wisters before she could be displaced, a.k.a. left on the street to die. Good of them. She eventually became the house manager. One of Justinia's favorite pastimes was baking bread, and she did so every Friday night so she could hand it out to the poor on Saturday mornings. Then, late one evening in 1820, Justinia appeared to John Wister's daughters in their bedroom. Believing that Justinia was at their uh, other home on Market Street in town, the girls were a bit startled by her sudden presence. The following morning, morning, the Wister family learned that Justinia had passed away the night before from yellow fever. Mm. Now, in nearly all of the stories I read, they included the oh-so-red flag phrase, According to legend. <laughs> triggered! Triggered! 
Which, uh, yeah, then I was like, I'm going to have to look into this shit. So what's the truth about Justinia? Did she, first, we got to start, does she even exist? Well, in 1990, J. Davidson Susan, Susanin, Susanin wrote his thesis for the Penn School of Design's graduate program on historic preservation. The thesis is titled, Grumblethorpe, an Historic Landscape Report. And it is about as interesting as it sounds to you. <laughs> if it sounds interesting, go check it out. It's very detailed. It goes through the history of each owner from a landscaping perspective. Who planted what and where those things are most likely located and who got who. It's, you know, it's yeah. it's as interesting as you will find that kind of information. Well, they're, they're, like they're necessary records. It's not uh, not beach yeah. reading by any means, yeah. but it's, you know, it's it's good to know that kind of stuff so that, I mean, history's, a history of places like that should be preserved, and that's how they are. It's sad. It's, it's yep. got to be dry. It's just got to be dry yep. and yep. factual. So, well, and I mean, some of it's pretty, like, some of it I could I was like, ooh, and then other parts were like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anywho, in his thesis, um, he reports that John Wister died at the age of 84. In John Wister's will, he left provisions for one Justinia Hernberger, orphaned daughter of Justin, who was housekeeper to the Wisters. Okay. So, so she was we real. All, we know Justinia was real, and John Wister had two daughters. Now, there are stories that Justinia actually died in a different state, so we can't really know for sure what happens. But if we break down that story even more, they said that she appeared to his daughters. The day that she died and in their room, right, in 1820. Mm -hmm. But we know that the Wisters were permanently located at Grumblethorpe by the end of the 1700s. Maybe they still had it, maybe not. But it doesn't make sense to me off the top of my head that she would be at the Market Street home unless she was in charge of all the properties owned by the Wisters. And that seems unlikely based on the fact that John died 30 years earlier and provided Mm -hmm. her provisions. Why is she... A woman now in charge of multiple properties, and if so, why don't we know more about it? As well, yeah, that seems weird. It's not traditional to have to have any one right. person in charge of several properties. Like you'd have like one person for each property. Yeah, and if you had Unless, an overseer, I mean, that's not going. That's not going to be a woman. Not back yeah. then. Yeah, probably. Yeah, more than likely not. But it 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 happened, but not not often. And as far right. as I know, that, never ever ever multiple properties. Right, unless exactly, the, unless and that's just the person was the property's owner. Now, is it possible that he left by, by provisions? They mean he left her one of the homes? No. Okay. No, um, but and and that's just like off the top of my head. Like it doesn't seem likely. But then, when we look into it further, uh, on top of that, mo- more more specifically, his daughters were born in 1734 and 1742. So that would have oh, made so them that... 86 and 80 and 78 when Justinia appeared to them and scared them. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it seems like that story it clearly they either got the be, date yeah, real yeah. wrong or maybe it's been elaborated on. That said, a ghost doesn't always need a great story to stay around. That's Although, true. being taken in by a wealthy family instead of left to die of yellow fever on the street and then becoming a beloved housekeeper, so much so that the man who saved you also left you provisions in his will, well, that's a pretty good story. And it's yeah. a pretty good reason to stay. Maybe right? she appeared to, like, whoever, like, his descendants were at the time as a way of thank you, of say, like, hey, I just right. want to let you know, like, your dad or your grandpa or whoever, like, he really took care of me, so 
I'm out. Like yeah. that could, I'm just saying, maybe maybe she did appear and just not to the daughters. And but his, his daughters, two. yeah, his daughters weren't the ones. If if she did appear, then it wasn't to yeah. them. But whatever happened, she did exist. Uh, and people often report seeing the apparition of a woman, along with the scent of baking bread, wafting through the house on Friday uh, evenings after that's, sunset. That's just a pleasant ghost. Right. It is commonly accepted that this is a spirit of Justinia. She's said to be a friendly presence who has also been seen by many children who visit the home with their parents. I like that. Like her. I like that a lot. I do too. One staff member, Kelly Alsop, had spoken of a particularly chilling experience in an upstairs room. Walking through the house with two other staff members during the middle of the day, the sun was shining through the windows. Kelly noticed their shadows were all cast on the floor, but interestingly, she could see there were four shadows. Uh. All three women working were in jeans, but the fourth inexplicable shadow was clearly wearing a long dress. (gasps) Other staff members have claimed to see figures or eyes in the dining room mirror. Some young volunteers have admitted that their parents are too afraid to pick them up at Grumblethorpe. Of course, there's <laughs> really no telling how many spirits haunt Grumblethorpe when you think about it long term. The most commonly seen and accepted ones are Justinia and um, the general, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, with that family, Sally even died at the house. Yeah. Right? In her writings, Sally seems to fall So this is one of those things that I got to preface this by saying that one of the great things about being an actor is you're usually very in touch with your emotions. Yes. That said, sometimes when things strike you in the feels, your emotions get away from you and maybe you can't say things without crying. Right. This might be one of those situations for me. So Uh uh I'm just going to let everyone know that ahead of time. Oh, goodness. Okay, I'm ready. Sometimes I practice reading the emotional things to Jack so (laughs) that I won't like. So you have more control? Yeah, so I have more control. I did that. I don't know if I'm going to have more control. Oh, no. So here we go. Are you ready? This is the the end. I don't think I am. I saved for the end of it. Okay. Okay. It's sweet. That's why I think I can't help myself. It's sad and sweet. Okay. Okay. So in her writings, Sally seems to fall for a major William Stoddart while the family stayed in North Wales. He was 19 and big and pretty and the nephew of General Smallwood, and she thought he was great enough to describe in the journal how smart he was, too. But he was a soldier. He had to go fight. A month later, William returned, ill, with a cold and fever. He was nursed back to health and sent back out again. He returned a second time, but did not stay very long. After he left that time, Sally wrote, We shall not, I fancy, see him for months, perhaps years. Sally returned to Germantown in 1778. She became rather withdrawn in her later life and seemed to be occupied with religious matters. They were Quakers. She Mm. died on April 21st, 1804, at the age of 42, having never married. As far as is known, Sally never saw Major William Stoddart again. Many of the soldiers she named in the journal were killed, but William, as it turns out, was not. He died. Here I go. I can't help it. Oh, my God. He died in 1793 at the age of 40 from what was described as the lingering effects of the hardship of camp life. William did marry, however. Guess what his wife's name was? (gasps) No. His wife's name was Sally. Oh! 
And I know it's a common name, but I don't care. It's the saddest and sweetest story oh. ever, and I love it. And why oh. does no one talk about her haunting this house? She's the one with the broken heart. Oh. I'm going to talk about her haunting this house because I think <laughs> she's still waiting for William. And in my movie, their spirits find each other, and then they exist happily ever after, even though they're both dead. Oh. Oh. Isn't that so sad oh. and sweet? I love it. I love it. Oh. That's so, so, I'm such a sucker for that kind of thing. I like that. I know. Oh, oh, what a good story. Great name, great story. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I made it. I didn't completely lose it. I thought I was going to. When I was reading it to Jack, I was like, her name was Sally. (laughs) (laughs) You were, you were on the brink. You were on the brink. I was. I'm proud of you. I did okay. I'm proud of you. That was great. That was great. (sighs) Oh my God. Well, I need to refill my, my, my pretend drink. Yeah, because we're drinking the weekends go now, so I'm gonna go. I just drink. Now. Yeah, <laughs> if I'll, I had had an out, I'll, like a little si- a little sip of anything to drink, I would have completely lost it. Maybe I'll have a little sip before I get to the my story, because yeah. my story is pretty good, pretty good. I'm, I'm excited I'm about excited. it because I found a new boogeyman. <gasps> yeah. Okay, break. All right, break. Be back in a minute. It's Patreon time. It's Patreon time. <laughs> yes. It's when we talk to you about joining Patreon time. Chat time um, with ghouls. That's right. We're here to say, hey, thank you guys for your support. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Patreon that we are using instead of commercials. This is our commercial yes. uh, for the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> so Look at that. More for the price. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Cool intentions. Uh, we have several different tiers at the, I believe, $8 and up tiers. We have a Discord um, and we have chats every month with our Discord. The coming month of August. Yes, we're we going to be have doing two. Our... And we're, we've moved it uh, to we've make it, it to make the time a little more agreeable with our friends overseas. So yes. uh, in August, we're going to do it on the first chat on the 15th at noon. That will be. Uh, Central Standard Time. And that will be for everybody, right? Yes. That's for everybody. Right. Yeah. On the Discord. On the Discord. And that's noon uh, Central Standard Time, uh, U.S. time. And the 29th will be uh, same thing, noon uh, Central Standard Time, and that one is for the patrons. The phantasm. The phantasm tears. Yeah, the the, yes. dis, the first the fifteenth is for the all Discord all members and the <laughs> it's the all yeah and then the 29th is for phantasm specifically. Uh, so thank you guys. Um, join the Patreon. It is a lot of fun if you're on the Discord. It's a really great community. They're playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's so There's a cool. whole group playing Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. They design the teas, um, and it, we just have a really good time over there. Yeah. But also, anything is appreciated. Uh, we Very pay much. our engineer for, for the podcast. Matt, so who is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so in lieu of commercials, we just are asking you guys to support us on Patreon. Um, tears start at a dollar and go up. So anything, yeah. anything is appreciated. You guys are the best. And on to the next. Yes, join us for the spoopy fun. Hey Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey Mickey. Hey Mickey. Hey Mickey. Sorry, <laughs> you know what I love about this second half of our um, episode today is there should be thunderstorms happening. I know. I just I, when I went outside to uh, not outside but out into the the house proper to make a drink, uh, I saw the the clouds rolling in and it's nice. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, uh, my umbrella snapped earlier. Oh. Oh snap. 
It snaps so in half. So I go outside. I can't leave. One. So I'm. It's like the Lost Boys out there because like we have Brandon and Devin, and then uh, Jonathan, who's Brandon's uh, younger sibling, comes over every now and again because he lives close by and he's safe. He's totally quarantined, so he doesn't go out and do anything. So he's right. he's safe to enter. But um, they're really into playing Yu-Gi-Oh now. So I walk in and I'm like, "The fuck is going on?" <laughs> I'm like, Children. Right. I'm like, gosh, turn that light off. It's bedtime. Like I feel, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the nanny from Muppet Baby sometimes. Uh, I love the nanny from uh, Muppet Baby. Me too. She's my spiritual animal. One um, of my favorite things that we did with the girls, you know, because they're seven and ten, and that's mm. a big age difference. And there's a part yeah. of it's hard it's to it's hard to be it inclusive is. for them for because they rarely want to do the same thing. Well, Callista wants to do whatever Serafina does, right? Mm. And Callista's the younger one. So she always wants to do the older stuff, and she can't always do it. And sometimes Serafina's like, could I just have some elbow room shit? And so <laughs> she doesn't say it like that, but that's how she thinks it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we don't cuss around her, but I'm pretty sure that that's how she thinks. So um, she'll... Uh, in, when I get some time with just Callista and me, it's like, what little girly cartoon do we want to watch? Uh, or what, you know, it's a little bit, she wants to watch those things that are younger that Serafina doesn't want to watch. So I had her watch Muppet Babies, the new one, which is really good. Oh, there's a Very new one? I didn't even know there was a new one. Yes, yeah. Oh, shit. It's, it, of course, the other one's going to be my favorite, but I'm not going to shoot down this one, too. The, she fucking loved it. Oh. And it has that same kind of backyardigan feel before the backyardigans were even a thing. Yeah, the, yeah, Muppet yeah. babies were doing it. Right. And so, <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's really fun, though, to that you just made me think of that with... That's, um, oh, now I'm going to... I have to go find... The, the, and the I'm nanny watching. is... God, I'm going to... Now I can't remember her name. The nanny's great, too. She played Melissa in Big Mouth, and then she quit because she's like, wait... I should not be voicing a black character. So good for her. Ah, good for her um, indeed. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that story. Yeah. I can't remember Shit. her name. She dated Chris Evans for a while. She's very funny. I love her oh, a lot. God, I have so many questions to ask her. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, if you have kids, Muppet Babies, the new one is really cute. Or if you don't have kids, it's still really cute. Because um, I'm going to watch it later. Anyway, so my story is something new, uh, for me anyway. I'd never heard of it before, and I was uh, rifling through. I always like to check out, um, there's a YouTube channel called Bedtime Stories, which I think I've touted before on the, uh, mm-hmm. the podcast, because they're really good. Uh, they do these really great um, uh, uh, drawings, or, or paintings, rather, uh, to illustrate the stories they read. The narration is really good, and they cover a lot. It's just really fun. Really, really, really pro Please check them out, Bedtime Stories. Uh, And because of them, I found this new topic, which is called The Gurning Man of Glasgow. Mm. Now, my sources are, of course, Bedtime Stories. Big thank you to them. Uh, Also, an article by Spencer Swanser in Mysterious Universe, The Gurning Man of Glasgow by A.L. Kuhn, C-U-I-N. And finally, an article by M.J. Steele Collins for The Spooky Isles. So let me ask you this real quiz, uh-huh. quick. Is it Glasgow or Glasgow? I think it's Glasgow. I think I Glasgow. think cause isn't Glasgow That's what the, I think the, it is too, Glasgow sounds but Russian I've heard to it me. Other ways. But I, it's probably. I mean, it's Scottish. There's no way for us to win. Um, You're right. I mean, you know what? I'm sorry. As you were. <laughs> I'm not wearing a kilt. Cl- I'm not going to pretend. I've, I've cleverly written this so I don't have to say Glasgow that often. Uh, oh, if you could say it again. <laughs> Glasgow? Sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
It's no secret, as listeners know, that I have a weakness for boogeymen, especially ones that spill over from the dark corners of our imagination into waking life. Those are the best kinds, let's face it. Mm. And fortunately, history supports my personal obsession with scores of examples. We're all familiar with the Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. If you're not, go listen to episode 28. We'll we'll wait. Uh, But there are a slew of lesser-known regional hobgoblins from around our haunted globe. Case in point, the Michigan Dogman, a hulking half-human, half-canine that's been terrorizing the Lower Peninsula on a 10-year cycle since about 1887. There's the nasty, shape-shifting Aswang, the Filipino answer for Eastern Europe's vampire, though to put it more accurately, the, the term Aswang is an umbrella term for whole rogues galleries of deadly supernatural beings known for uh, making life a living hell for well, the living. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Consider also what the Hmong people of Southeast Asia referred to in hushed tones as Dab Tsong, an old hag whose nocturnal killing spree inspired Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. That shit's based on a true story. Take a minute to process that information, if you will. <laughs> you uh, can also that... watch The Outsider mm-hmm. on a yes. HBO. I think it's HBO. Oh God, Outsider? Yes. Yeah. The UK has its big cats. Uh, The Himalayas have the abominable snowman. The Pine Barrens of New Jersey boast of the Jersey Devil, though there's really not much to boast about there. It's not even, I mean, just sorry. Jersey, I love you. But the prize. We fucking can't. Your prized cryptid looks like a luck dragon painted by a bored trophy wife at one of those. Pino and paint studios. Um, mm-hmm. Who's trying to paint with her Pino? Like she get it got mixed up, and so what? Get me another Pino. I need. I dipped. I The Jersey Devil needs more eyeshadow. The Victorian age <laughs> brought us uh, supernatural menaces like Spring Heel Jack. The Internet age brought us Slenderman. My personal boogeyman growing up, the Mummy. Not the sexy one from the Brendan Fraser franchise mm. either, but because by the time those movies were out, I had long conquered my fear of like being crushed to death by this dusty, bandaged thing that crawled out of my closet every night. It's really just a metaphor for my own struggles as a gay kid. But uh, side note, <laughs> I actually got over my fear of mummies. I want to say something witty there, but I just... It's just sad. It's just so sad. I mean, Sally. I'm, I'm fine now. <laughs> My mummy's name was Sally, and I didn't even know it was a girl. Oh, my God! Um, <laughs> 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 you know what got me over my fear of mummies? Which was intense. Like, I hated going to bed at night. I was so convinced a mummy was going to come out of my closet. I had nightmares about it, of, like, a mummy coming out of my closet and, like, killing my family. Oh my it was fucking intense. Stop crying over Sally! <laughs> I'm not. I'm laughing. I'm just trying to cover my face. You can't tell what I'm doing. Anyway, um, but true story, what finally got me over that fear was the Three Stooges. There's an episode where they're, they're, there's an episode where they're they're being chased around by a mummy, and it's really funny. Like this, it, it's just stupid. Like the mummy gets up to some very undignified hijinks for an old mummy, and so I, it turned out to be very therapeutic for me. And I was like, mummies aren't scary anymore. I like almost I I can remember just the 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 switch flipping like that when I watched that episode. I was like, yep, not scary anymore. Oh, right, not they're scary. funny. You know, I don't think I had any specific boogeyman like to be afraid of you know i wanted my closet door shut because that's just common sense you didn't want a monster to come out from <laughs> under there. you didn't want, want to dangle to your foot off the right. edge because you don't want a monster grabbing it but those but things are true one today I, I was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh... but i didn't have anything 
the mummy, different. though, was quickly re- replaced by Baba Yaga when I read about her for a report mm. I had to do for school. And I was like, that shit's terrifying. And I'd, so that she, she the, the old metal tooth witch, <laughs> yeah. uh, replaced that, even though I'm not the least bit Russian. But I'm not Egyptian either. And I saw a mummy. So, I mean, my imagination just it's, gets away from me. You know, past lives, maybe. You had a very, maybe. very exciting pa- past life. Apparently, experience. I've been doing this podcast for millions of years. Uh, <laughs> now, suffice it to say, my mania for nightmare creatures goes back quite a way. In fact, it's getting harder and harder to discover new ones. In the two years that I've been doing this podcast, Jamie, uh, I've begun to lose faith that I'll ever run across a boogeyman of whom I've yet to hear. Yeah. And then along yeah. came the Gurning Man of Glasgow. <laughs> 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 I'm I sure enjoyed I, that. Uh, appropriate that the creature, if in fact creature it was, should be from old Scotia. Uh, I've been re-watching Doctor Who lately, a series, of course, renowned for its Monsters of the Week, and we all know the best actors from the show are Scottish. This is not a controversial opinion. Fight me. Uh, in case you misheard, don't confuse the Gurning Man with the drug-fueled desert orgy that unfolds in the makeshift town of Black Rock City, Nevada, every year. That's a different boogeyman. Yeah. Gurning, with a G, is a British word uh, that refers to an extremely distorted and a very particularly distorted facial expression. Um, think bitter beer face? <laughs> <laughs> Times mm-hmm, like 10. Mm-hmm. Or for our social media generation, uh, like the, the awkward upward angle selfie. At any rate, uh. the entity's name should key you in to its disturbing appearance, but looks are only the half of it. According to Brent Swanser of Mysterious Universe, the Cross Hill District of Glasgow uh, played host to a curiously sinister visitor in the late 70s. Beginning in 1976, he writes, reports began to come in from frightened women who had seen a very bizarre figure roaming the lonely, foggy streets, usually described as a tall and thin, pale, bald man in his 50s who moved in a strange, disjointed way as if he didn't have full control of his body or was agitated. Oh, God, now he just tweets. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> now he's just on Kiwi Farms a lot. Uh, oh, my God. Fuck that guy. <laughs> what made it stranger still was the individual's truly bizarre behavior and seeming ability to appear and vanish at a moment's notice. The first sighting, as far as we know, belongs to a pair of teenage girls walking home from an impromptu party one gloomy night back in 1976, the year I was born. Jesus, I'm old. Names and exact dates are, alas, as foggy as the brick-paved street they were ambling down. One imagines certain details were withheld from the press out of respect uh, for the privacy of minors, but we'll get all in, we'll get into that in, in due course. Bear with me. In any case. As the young women picked their way through the intermittent light cast by rows of old street lamps, the sense that they were being watched began to creep up on them, little by little. Taking careful note of their surroundings, the girls spotted a figure standing at the curb across the street, half obscured by shadow, but clearly keeping an eye on them. For reasons they couldn't quite pinpoint, they had difficulty making out his facial features, only that he was a man, tall, rail-thin, and bald. Aware that he had uh, been seen, the stalker slipped into the shadows entirely, visible now only as a shape in the darkness. This quick, like this right, this quick furtive movement suddenly made it clear to the girls why they'd had trouble making out more detail. The man was twitching, 
His body racked by strange spasms. The shuddering contortions didn't stop for a moment throughout this encounter. The girls called out for the guy to show himself, when instead he chose to remain cloaked in darkness, convulsing and sputtering. They simply thought someone had knocked back a few too many at the local pub and decided, nah, fuck it, we'll just keep on going. Now, let me just, let me just tell you what it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah. For two women, and there was a skinny dude, creepy dude, not that skinny dudes are creepy. That's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> but there was tall, skinny, bald dude who saw them, was watching them. They saw him. He ducked into a dark alley. Well, no, it was on they, the street. He just uh, he just uh, he just ducked out of the the street light lamp into a shadow. Yeah, into a shadow of sorts. Yeah, and began convulsing. No, he'd been convulsing the whole time. Okay. Yeah, but wait, so I know what you're thinking. It just sounds like he's jacking it. That's what it sounds like. Maybe, maybe, but and and hold on to that thought because you may not be wrong. However, okay. Now, uh, so the girls, you know, they decided to move on. They weren't, you know, they were wary, but not especially impressed. They they had probably the same idea you did. I'm like, oh, he's just some fucking creepy asshole that's just you right. know fucking jacking it. To, to, yeah, we're going to accept it now, but luckily, you know, in about thirty years, we'll yeah. be able to say that is inappropriate. Well, and Scottish girls, they could have taken him. Right. <laughs> They're like, hey, come at me, bro. Um, no sooner had the girls passed by on the opposite side of the street, however, than an ear-splitting shriek cut through the air like a serrated knife. The girls turned. The figure was now stumbling out of the shadows toward them, snarling and trembling as it approached. Its limbs were bent and gyrating, his bald head lolling from side to side. Dressed in all black, the man appeared to be in his late fifties. At first, the girls felt a sudden pang of sympathy. The man, they thought, was probably suffering from some kind of debilitating illness. Still, the look on his face filled them with terror. His gaunt features were twisted into a hideous mask, a warped expression of almost unspeakable pain. The pale, incisive eyes at the center of this horrific grimace stared at them relentlessly. The girls ran the fuck home and called the police. The police came, nothing there. Now, sometime later, an elderly Cross Hill resident rose before dawn, as she often did, and began making herself ready for the day. As this old woman placed a brace of empty milk bottles on the front porch, her keen ears caught the sound of movement near some trash cans up the way. When she focused her attention, the noise stopped. As she turned around to go back inside, however, she was struck by the loud clang of a trash can being hit. She turned back around to see a tall, cadaverous man ambling toward her oddly. Now, bizarrely, his leg kicked up a spark as he brushed the side of a trash can. The old, the old woman shrank back in fear as the figure bore down on her with almost inhuman speed, twitching and snarling all the while. He let out what would soon be known as his signature piercing howl. His face wore the same petrifying sneer the teenagers had seen several nights prior. All the poor woman could do was let out a cry for help. Astonishingly, as it left her lips, the figure vanished. It was only feet from her, and there was absolutely nowhere it could have gone. Wow. Now, over the next three years, the Gurning Man, as locals dubbed him, would, seen, uh, would be seen no less than 17 times by people that didn't seem to know each other. Interestingly, writes Swanser, every single one of the sightings was made by a woman, and in every instance they described being overcome with a thick, unnatural fear during the encounters that so traumatized and scared them 
that some of them even decided to move away from the area afterwards altogether. Uh, it's also <laughs> curious to note, Swanser says, that many of the uh, disparate witnesses didn't know each other, yet gave identical descriptions of the man, right down to his attire. So, like, if he changed clothes, he had, like, you know, 17 of the same outfit. Since these events only happened for a brief period over three years, we are left to wonder, he says, what was going on. Theories include a madman harassing woman, which seems probable, uh, but also paranormal expl uh, explanations, including that he might have been a demon or even a time traveler. Now, giving credence, if you ask me, to the paranormal spin on this menacing figure was the fact that he wasn't just seen in the street. On several occasions, he appeared to people in the dead of night in their homes. I don't like that. Several years after the initial sighting, just a few houses down from where the teenage girls had been accosted in the street back in 76, a woman awoke to the sound of labored breathing. Assuming it was her husband fast asleep beside her, the woman's heart sank as she suddenly realized, one, her husband wasn't making a sound, and two, the breathing was coming from the shadows in the far corner of the room. She thought instantly of her two daughters tucked in their beds down the hall. Were they safe? Was there an intruder? Uh, an animal, maybe? Was she dreaming all this? Stock still, she willed her eyes to adjust. A figure slowly came into focus at the foot of the bed, rising up from the floor. A man, emaciated, bald, his deathly pallor evident from the dim light straining through the curtains. His arms were jackknifed at his sides, his fingers splayed out like claws. The incessant twitching only underscored the excruciating look on his face. In his tattered black clothing, he looked for all the world like a reanimated corpse struggling against the agony of rigor mortis. The woman watched, paralyzed with fear, as the apparition clawed at his chest and slapped his torso. The pale eyes rolled wildly in their sockets, the head rocked from side to side. Just as the thought occurred to the woman that this guy might not be altogether aware of his surroundings, his eyes locked onto hers. <laughs> he let out a scream to wake the dead and began to crawl across the bed toward her rapidly. The scream startled her husband awake, thank God. He sprang to and switched on the bedside lamp. All at once, the hideous specter vanished. Her husband canvassed the house for any signs of the intruder. There were none, nor, for that matter, were there the slightest indications of how he might have gotten in from the first goddamn place. It's like the evil spirit of a serial killer. Right? Their daughters were fine, you'll be happy to know, a little shaken by the scream, which they'd also heard, but otherwise unharmed. The couple was baffled. And before we chalk this down to our old friend's sleep paralysis, this would be the first of six reports involving the gurney man, uh, the gurning man invading someone's home. For whatever reason, the entity seemed to fall off the face of the earth after 1979. There are, however, rumors of sightings as recent as 2017. An unnamed woman from Queens Park area, adjacent to Cross Hill, reportedly saw the gurning man while heading home from a friend's house one night. He was, she says, standing between a parked van and a car. She described him as, quote, spind as a spindly old man between 70 and 90, bald, wearing black clothing, snorting loudly, and rubbing his chest. The man nearly made her jump out of her skin. She didn't notice him until she was within a couple of feet of where he was standing. A few days later, in the same year, a group of teenage girls shone their cell phone lights onto a hedgerow when someone pointed out there was movement going on there. The man, of course, popped out. The characteristic Gurn, or Chuck, as it's sometimes called, was unmistakable. They also said that his uh, his the black outfit he was wearing had such a low neckline that they could see a nipple, so it sounds like a leotard almost. Um, so this whole time, he's just trying to do jazz hands, and he can't get his hands to do it. That's what's happening. 
He's taken Jazzercise too seriously, and now he has rhabdo. Um, <laughs> poor bastard. Uh, I didn't know you can get rhabdo from jazz from jazz hands, but I guess you fucking but, can. I That's mean, the real moral the of the story the here. <laughs> now, is this all just an urban legend? Did two young girls on their way home from a party back in 1976 see a homeless man in the street suffering from Parkinson's or ALS and uh, perhaps and just mistake the encounter for something more paranormal? Did word spread and inform the hypnagogic hallucinations of Glasgow residents the same way a few isolated incidents grew all out of proportion to become the infamous mad gasser of Mattoon in the 30s? We'll never know. What we do know, however, gives us a pretty big actually, I'm sad to say. Aww. When M.J. Steele Collins set out to research the topic for the Spooky Isle, the lack of anything remotely like official documentation did not bode well. Glasgow is a city that definitely remembers its lurid past, Collins writes. It seemed apt to make inquiries among folks I reckoned would definitely know, and everything turned up blank. This ranged from someone who grew up and went to school in the area, a friend who is a walking book of Glasgow tales, a local historian, an ex-police officer, and my mom, who was a teenager at the time <laughs> of the original sightings. None of them... <laughs> could place the story, and in fact, my mention was the first time any of them had heard of it. Wow. Now, had the Glasgow Herald, uh, now, excuse me, the Glasgow Herald uh, and the now defunct Evening Citizen had once documented local poltergeist hauntings in the 60s and 70s, they would have mentioned a creepy leotard-clad ghoul tormenting women in Crosshill to the extent that the Gurning Man is said to have done. But in fact, uh, Collins writes, there, uh, uh, um, Excuse me, there would be no doubt a sizable police hunt for the culprit that would have been dream copy for the local press. And yet, nothing. Not a fucking shred. Not one story in the, in the you know, uh, 45 years backlog. Hmm. And newspapers in the area. No witness, no no one who was alive at the time who still lives there remembers hearing about it. So even though this story, it's not even an urban legend from the from the 70s, it's an urban legend from fucking now that <laughs> they simply said started in the 70s with two girls, which is why we don't have names, which is why we don't have specific yeah. dates. It's a good story, but in the end, Collins and myself are inclined to dismiss the Gurning Man as a hoax and a recent one at that, which is a shame because it's a good story. I know. You were so excited about a new boogeyman. Well, but I am excited about one little side note. When I was looking at the, the Bedtime Stories episode on the Gurning Man, which is beautifully done, by the way, uh, and recent, actually. just I think it just came out in, earlier this month. So uh, they mentioned that in Glasgow, there's a cemetery there, about like a, it's a proper necropolis. Like it's a large like city in and of itself of the dead. And uh, sometime in the 30s, I believe it was, the police had to disperse a group of 200 children that had taken up like torches and, and makeshift weapons and were patrolling the cemetery trying to kill a metal-toothed vampire, they said, what? would pop up and occasionally kill one of them. And that that is true. These kids were absolutely convinced that this thing was there and the police like had to like corral them. And like it was so weird, but yeah. So- oh my God, I want to watch that movie because it's actually there. It was actually there. Well, I mean, th that is there. that had is, to have been. That is well, I mean, the kids certainly thought. I mean, it wasn't 200 right. kids scared out of their minds for fun. 
uh, it was 200 kids that back in the 30s, mind you, these were working class kids who probably yeah. worked uh, dawn till till midnight. And so they were like, shit, this this fucking creature is killing our killing us one by one. And uh, yeah. And so they used to patrol the local cemetery. So Glasgow, had, which, yeah. which sadly cast the Grinning Man in even more doubt, because if Glasgow remembers that kind of stuff and yet no one right. remembers there was no such like no such citizens brigade pro- cropped up to deal with the Gurning Man. I find that, yeah, Scotland doesn't fuck around. They they deal with it. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's a good story. They have, a, they have that but, whole yard and everything that takes. But care it, of that kind but of thing. it is also we do have to accept that it is also possible if it, that it's a real person. Uh, and that mm-hmm. some people just had really convincing nightmares after hearing stories about, you know, a, a, a stalker or some, you know, weird guy out there that may have just suffered from Parkinson's or something like that. Um, well, or if there's some guy that was whacking it, you know, that kind yeah. of shit. Um, yeah. That's not always going to make the news, right? Right, right, right. You know, and especially so... if it's if it's just happening to women. Um it's like that's not news. Uh, Why would we cover that? <laughs> Let's cover the bank sale. It really has sale. to be something to get attention to get that kind of coverage. Right, right. Um, and so, so and, uh, maybe, and the fact is, you know, that that's if it was, not. I mean, if honestly, the fact that it wasn't covered at all by the press makes me think, yeah, it probably wasn't. It probably, if right. it was there, it was just a dude like harassing women, which the press didn't give a shit about. So. Yeah. And and so if they saw him in, in the 70s and saw him again much later, because uh, the woman said to have seen him in 2017 describes him as being like between like 70 and 90, which is conceivable. Like if he was in his 50s right. in the in this in the 70s, then now he'd be, you know, much older. And so it may just be a dude. It may just be a dude. Yeah. I've seen creepy fucking dudes in the, in my neighborhood for years that have just been around yeah. and they just kind of they, they just age with the place. I don't think they're supernatural. They might be not. I think about it. Oh, but no. I mean, like they just. I'm like, oh yeah, that motherfucker's been there for 30 years. We we've seen him forever. Yeah. So well, and it's also, I don't know. In in 40, 50 years, it'll be interesting. These types of shows, because uh, it'll just be like it's not online anywhere. Couldn't find it online anywhere. If I mean, if the internet stays the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, because now everything, <clears throat> there's got to be something. Somebody talked about something. Right. Online somewhere. And it's forever. Somebody was on it. It's forever. Ever. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. But anyway, so that's the Gurning Man. Good story. Gurning Man is bullshit. Yeah. It's a terrifying yeah. idea. I still think it might be some truth to it. it I just scary. think it's supernatural. Well, it started from something. Probably. Which- yeah, yeah, and and you know, so let this be a lesson to you. If you're walking home uh, late at night and you see someone in the shadows, uh, document that shit. <laughs> right, put it online. Put it online. I don't know what else to tell you. Like you shouldn't. Yeah. Like hopefully, like be safe. Be safe. Put your keys in your hand in such a way that you look like Wolverine. That's right. It's a good defensive maneuver. And uh, scream. You know, scream. You scream. Scream. Yeah, scream fire. They'll come running if you scream fire. Even if you just scream, scream, a lot of times they'll run away. Yeah, hopefully. Whoever's like whoever it is, because uh, if you got a good scream in there, one of the things they that's true prey upon is somebody who because what happens when you get shocked, when you go into shock, when something startles you like that, you don't know what to say, and so a lot of people forget to scream at yeah. all. It's yep. just like so if you can be aware enough to think scream, 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 whatever happens, as long as you just scream. Or in my case, say I wish you would, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, 
a lo- mo- the majority of the time, unless it is like a serial killer that's looking for a fight, that person's going to go away. But if it's a serial killer looking for a fight, you're fucked anyway. So you might as well scream. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. what? Quote of the day. If it's a serial killer, you're fucked anyway. You might as well scream. That's right. It's Let's good. put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well scream. It's okay to sleep with the well. lights on and you might as well scream. Words to live by. <laughs> That's going to be your next song. Right? (laughs) (sighs) Good story, though. Thank you for letting us know that was not, that's an actual Yeah, I know. Still looking for a good boogeyman. Still looking for a good, convincing boogeyman. There are a few out there. I I, want to do one on Spring Hill Jack, which I'm convinced may be real. Right. uh, uh, I know I've said this before, but when I grew up, you know, there's always the boogeyman that you're told, which the Outsiders a lot is about. Um or Outsider. I don't know if it's The Outsider or Outsider, but it's on HBO. Yeah. Anyway. It's based um, on the Stephen King novel, right? Stephen King, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's done really, really well. Cast is super strong mm. as well. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's um, there's a lot of Southern accents that I enjoy because they're just <laughs> a little too forward in the teeth. Like That's, that's a very specific fixin'. Like, la- relax that face a little bit. But... Um, <laughs> so, anyway, it's really good. But uh, did I you remember... know? Did you? Sorry, sorry. On a quick side note, did you know that Jonathan, my brother-in-law, is in Mr. Mercedes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He I was, did know he's, that. he's one of the. He makes an appearance in an episode. He's one of the bullies. He's the camera yeah. loves him. He does great. So proud of him. Yeah, we does. we watched it for him. We're like, oh my god, it's Jonathan. Um, sorry, it's sorry. funny to think of him as a bully too, because he's adorable. He's such a smart, uh, right? <laughs> Look at him. He's a little he bully. Was, he I was love it. Acting. Such a bad bully. <laughs> uh, but no. So when I grew up, my mom would tell me to watch out for the alley rats if I didn't go to bed at a certain time or didn't do whatever. And there's lots of those types of boogeymen out there, too. But mine specifically, I was told the alley rats are going to get you. Mm. Now, mm. I was very young when she told me this. And I think because I didn't know what an alley rat was, uh, which isn't that just like a fucking rat? Like, whatever. But I didn't think of that <laughs> then. At the time, the only thing that I could, I guess, hear it and... And think of it was alley cat. I knew what an alley cat was. Ah, yes. So then she would be like, the alley rats are going to come get you. But I would hear alley cats and think that doesn't sound so bad. But I guess I'm <laughs> supposed to be afraid of them. And so I would do it because I was supposed to be because af- I was, you know, f- I did what I was told. I was so good. <laughs> so it's like, I guess I'm supposed to be good to be afraid of these. So I guess I will be. <laughs> but, you know, thinking about. What, uh, being scared of something, I knew my mom's ghost stories from a very young age. Mm. So, uh, monsters in the, in the, um, closet or whatever, I knew that my mom had somebody, something grab her foot in one of her houses and trip her. And when she ran up the stairs and looked back, it was some person with red eyes. And that to me was more terrifying than anything that I'd heard would be in your closet. And that was in, like, a totally different state, so I didn't have to worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I grew up with parents that that, that, my mother didn't, uh, she believes in that kind of stuff, but she doesn't like to talk about it, so she downplays it. And my dad Mm -hmm. doesn't believe it at all, which was kind of more terrifying for me because I was like, I believe in this stuff, but I'm not supported, so I'm alone in my fear. And uh, it was kind of awful, but it, but I mean, my fear of mummies was cute to them. They were like, my father used to always say, like, if a mummy, like, have you seen mummies in movies? Like, they're dead. They're 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 several thousand years old. They're just dust and like bandages. They can't. If you get caught by a mummy, you're not trying. Just, <laughs> just 
get some scissors and cut it. Yeah, he's like, what? what? Do that. Cut it out. Okay. <laughs> Full house. Yes. Oh. Um, my, uh, um, what was I going to say? It was my, um, I guess the fears or whatever, I was very lucky that my mom, I guess because she had had the experiences that she had, she never said, there's nothing here. There's nothing to be afraid of. She yeah. would look that's just and then parenting. give me something, you know. Yeah, so, you know, that's helped too yeah. with the girls here being able like, well, what do you see? You know, what's going on? Okay, well, let's talk about it. And why did that scare you? Okay, now, is there a re is that a reason to be scared? You know, so it's kind of rationalizing it. Now we have the ghost cat to watch out. So that seems to be make everything okay. <laughs> the ghost there's cat. a doctor, there's a Peter Capaldi Doctor Who episode where he talks about fear and he's like, this little kid has like a monster under his bed. It's a really good episode. I cannot think of the name right now. But he's got this great monologue where like Peter Capaldi, who's not terribly sympathetic, like he's he's a great doctor, but he's he's not good with people. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of how his character's written and Paul, uh, Capaldi plays it to the hilt. But he's talking to this kid and for the first time you see him, it's like, wow, that's damn good advice you're just giving this terrified kid. He's like, did you, know, did you know your fear makes you a superhero? And he describes like like physically all the things that fear does. Like you're more alert, your senses, you blah, 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 blah. And the kid is like slowly kind of swelling with pride. Yeah. He's like, I'm a superhero because I'm afraid. He's like, yeah, I wish I could be afraid as you are because that'd be, and it was so, it's so great. But like that, I'm keeping that in my back pocket for kids in the future. If I yeah. have children, I'm going to be like, your fear makes you a goddamn superhero. That was really great because while you were telling that, I don't know if you can hear it here, but um, rain just started pouring. <gasps> oh my god, it's 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 about it'll be here another five minutes. Sweet. Oh yep. my god. You're next. I'm next. All right. All right. Well, I love well, you, thank my you, dear. Everybody. Thank you for Tell everything. Tell us your stories. Uh, send them. Send in your boogeyman stories or Please. what other ghost stories you've got. Any anything. Send it in. Ghoulintentions.com at the top of the menu. Submit your story here. That's. That's your key. That's where you submit your story, right there. <laughs> <laughs> the only way it could be easier is if we did it for you. We're, we're, I mean, we'll help. Don't get me wrong. Right. Just ask. We'll help. But um, <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, DC Douglas, yes. for reading that story. It was amazing. Um, stay sane. Stay safe. Yeah, you flipped the script on me. <laughs> I know. I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> you say stay safe. I say stay sane. And then we both say... And remember... It's, it's okay, okay to sleep, to sleep, with, sleep the with the lights on. on. <laughs> we did it. Yay. Yeah, keeping that. <laughs>